Greetings, everyone. Hello, I'm Lynette Carroll, and I'll be your host today on Wealth Psychology. It's usually Emily Bouchard and Jamie Traeger-Mooney who are here with you. Let's offer them special blessings into this moment, blessings of health, of safety, of passage, and uh, blessings of joy in their lives. And let's send them an offering of peace and the grace of stillness. It's really a great blessing for me to be invited to spend this time with you. And I I so love that you're here and that we have a moment to take a pause together, a little uh, peaceful break, a moment of quietude before you return to your lives of ceaseless motion and, and I do as well. Today on Wealth Psychology, we're going to consider a very vital component and a very special resource, I think, of wealth. We're going to explore the wealth found in silence, the wealth of stillness, the art of grace and pause, the art of, um, well, of personal peace. And we're going to talk about romancing our own soul. Pause denotes a rest or, or a suspension, especially, the dictionary says, of speech and action. Alice Walker uses the word pause more fully to include the hush of stillness. Stillness points to, it kind of shows the way, it indicates that there might be a still point It's the absence of motion, yes, but it's also quiet, hush, and silence. What a nice word hush is in this context. Hush. Hmm. It has shh in it, which is a soothing word. Silence is defined as a cessation of sound or noise, but In our context today, it includes the element of quietude, which is a state of being, a state of being quiet, being tranquil, with calmness, stillness. And quietude includes an element of peacefulness in it. If one has quietude, there is a feeling, isn't there, a kind of implicit Peacefulness. Peace, which in itself, I think, evokes a sense of fullness, satiety. Peace embraces the still point. It embraces that cessation, which evokes grace and and peace includes that that peace that we would say passes understanding. And we'll we'll ponder that a little. And and peace and grace, they're they're entwined to me. Grace is an elegance or a beauty of form and manner. That's that's really beautiful. An elegance or beauty of form and manner of motion and action, an elegance or beauty of motion and action. That's grace. Grace also, I think, denotes a pleasing or an attractive quality. It it includes the idea of endowment, of gifting, which I love a lot, that grace has in it the idea of endowment, the idea of gifting an endowment of of goodwill, of favor. Grace also includes mercy and clemency, pardon and forgiveness. And 
and surely self-circuit forgiveness is included in grace. And to me, grace also has a peace in it, the gift or endowment of peace, of that particular peace that passes understanding. And grace, I would say, includes an element of fullness, of fulfillment as well. For grace is also, I would say, the fulfillment of the soul through time. Grace is the fulfillment of the soul through time and has peace and stillness in it. I observe in in our culture, both our inner and our outer cultures, our our personal and our group cultures, in our family and and uh, and in our community cultures, our well, in our in our local and global cultures as well. In all of these, I observe and and I too feel a great longing. That's a, a longing for silence and stillness, for grace and pause. Because amid the many wondrous endeavors of our lives, the great blessings, the many worries, all of the the challenges and trials within even all the purposefulness, certainly within the busyness, we long as well for cessation. We long perhaps especially for cessation, for quiet, tranquility, calmness, stillness. We long to include more of these. We long we long to pause. We long for quietude, for more breath, for elegance and beauty of motion and action. We long for self-mercy. We long for that grace found in stillness. Wendell Berry spoke beautifully to this in one of my favorite poems, When despair grows in me and I wake in the middle of the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Mm-hmm. Oh, in that we can feel it in that beautiful poetic expression of Wendell Berry we can feel that which we long for that grace of the world that presence of still water Hmm? <laughs> and the peace of wild things <laughs> who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. Our lives can be so unrelenting, so harried and stressful, end to end to end seems endlessly sometimes we're tumbling day after day after day serving so many ideas concerns goals people we start to lose our breath sometimes i think it even feels like 
uh, we might lose our minds. So in this moment at least, this time together, we can stop. We can ponder our choices. We can feel our longings. We can feel the peace, the peacefulness that is already there in us, just waiting for us to notice. It's already there, the peace in us, just waiting for us to notice. And this is, you know, when the great gurus are laughing, this is what they're laughing about. And this is what I would like to lead us toward today. A deeper understanding of this. I had a a personal experience about this in 1993-94. I was sitting in my meditation room in contemplation and prayer. And I was feeling my longing for peace and meditating and and praying in that moment for more peace in the world and in my life and in myself. Up to that time, I guess I would say that peace had been an ideal, a cherished ideal, and one that I believed in and worked toward, but an ideal. Ideals are little, perhaps they live in residence in a castle in the sky, and they're they're beautiful and important ideas, truths even, that inspire us, that are can serve as a as a north star, and they're not necessarily implicit in us. There's something that we strive toward. And I would say that was what peace was for me, certainly, in 1993, in this moment, in my meditation room, as I felt my longing for peace. And so, in that moment, I I prayed for peace. And I had then, suddenly and surprisingly, a beautiful experience that you might call a vision. And in this vision, I was shown the world as though from space. And I saw that all around the world, there were millions of people longing for and praying for peace. And I felt so excited. I I really felt Uh, bursting with excitement as I sat there. And and a surge of hope, a feeling almost of certainty when I saw and felt the group that I was part of that longed for peace, that prayed for peace, that thought of peace, that wanted peace for themselves and their families and their countries. I just thought, there are so many of us that peace is imminent. And in that moment of excitement, I was interrupted by what I would perhaps call the vision voice, or I would say wisdom spoke to me and said, the prayers for peace are beautiful indeed and wondrous and important they are. But if they were enough, dear one, peace would have occurred upon this planet long ago. Oh. <laughs> well, I almost shouted out there in my prayer and meditation what you probably wanted to know too. What is enough? If all of those prayers aren't enough, 
What is enough? I want to know. And wisdom said, My peace be with you. Peace be unto you. Now, one of those things that are difficult to describe occurred for me in hearing this. I suddenly, deeply, fully, it seemed almost in every cell, understood that peace was already unto me. For the voice said, Peace be unto you. And the meaning in all of its simplicity and complexity became integrated in me in a different way and I understood the peace wasn't something outside of me that I had to try to become more of or gain somehow or find the key to or be with the person who could give it. Peace is unto me and unto you. And in that way of an experience of, of this type, there's more knowing that is transferred, that is beyond words. And what I knew was, it's already a gift. It's already given. You are peace. The truth of this struck my mind like crashing cymbals. And I could at once feel the truth of it. And at the same time, feel the contradiction (laughs) caused by the difference between where I was and the truth of this. By who I was, by how I was, by what I thought, by what I felt, by how I lived. The contradiction created by those when contemplating and feeling the understanding that in fact I actually was peace. And I felt full force my own longing, determination, desire, enthusiasm. Because when the voice said, peace be unto you, my peace be unto you, I knew it was possible. And with peace as an ideal, even a cherished ideal, I was determined to bring more and more into my life and my world. But as an ideal, it is not unto me. It is still outside of me. And suddenly I realized It was there to be lived out, not out there to be brought in. And that having peace was possible, not just for uh, the guru who goes, um, you know, spends long years in meditation and then goes to live forever in a cave, or not just if you're born the Dalai Lama, not just with those with the special knowledge or the secret keys. But peace is unto me and peace is given. That I am peace. And then I began to want to flower. I wanted... To unfold that from inside out. Now, in that moment, I, I didn't have much of a, a clue how to do that or what that meant. And for 10 years, I walked with this 
interested in what being peace would mean, being an expression of my own peace would mean, and how I could grow more and more able to access, to return to, to avail myself of this and what that would mean to my life and to my world. In fact, I even reached a point in my life where I realized there was nothing else I really wanted more. Peace relates to that still point, the stillness and the silence, the quietude and pause that are all part of an inner endowment that has its source within us and within every living thing. As Wendell Berry expressed in that beautiful poem, in nature, we see it clearly, we feel it and know it clearly. And often we go to nature seeking peace. But what really happens there is that in nature, we feel our own nature. Because we are not separate from nature, we feel separate from nature. And we go to nature, forgetting (laughs) nature is in our own nature. We are nature. We are part of nature. We are nature too. And our nature is the stillness and the peace that we find in nature. We are nature too. The nature, (laughs) the naturalness, the stillness, the peacefulness of nature, that is our nature. This peace, stillness, grace, pause, this is part of our endowment our core nature. We simply feel separate from it, but we're not separate from it. And we simply cannot be separate from it any more than anything in nature can be separate from nature. We can think we are. But this peacefulness, the stillness of our core nature is gifted in. And we can choose not to open that gift. We can choose not to access or use that gift, but that gift is still there in us, always waiting for us to remember. And it really is that simple. It's far more simple than it seems, but I really understand the human mind ever moving toward complexity when it is the most simple things that are true. And the peace that we long for, the stillness, the pause, it is there waiting for us. It is our core nature. It is the truth of who we are. It is implicit. It is endowed within us. It is what and who we are. We are peace. There's no need to search for it peace. There's no need to look for stillness. We are stillness in our very nature. This grace is within us. It is me. It is you. It is held in the domain, I would say, of our implicit soulful nature, our authentic self, which, well, which exists I might say in the realm of our soul, our soulfulness, our soulfulness, our soulfulness. We could say that the return to self is the the process of growing intimate with our soul. The return to self is really the process of growing intimate with our soul, with our authentic self, with who we really are. Not 
whether we like this or that or will allow something or other or vote for uh, whatever, those are all choices. Wonderful, fun, important choices. But they are not who we are. As we grow more intimate with who we are, we come to know a more authentic self, our more authentic self. And for the sake of dialogue, let's call that self our soul. Process of growing intimate with our soul, of romancing our soul. And so, how can you become intimate with your core self, your authentic, peaceful, grace-given, soulful self? By knowing yourself better, (laughs) growing more familiar with yourself, getting to know yourself better, like we would with anyone or anything, like falling in love. So, I highly recommend romancing your soul, growing intimate with your own nature, not by feeling separate from yourself, but instead by getting to know yourself and integrating with that expanded sense of self that is held in in what we would call the soul, our soul self. So how... How do we really do that? It has it has a wonderful evocative feel, but let's be practical for a moment. And let's say that we do that by romancing our soul. And so I've thought of a couple of simple practices that are quite elegant in how easy they are to implement. And I'm excited to share them with you. The first uh, is a very simple three-part practice. The first part of it is to pause. Now, it takes only a moment to pause. I'm not talking about pause for an hour and meditate for an hour. I'm not uh, talking about pause and give yourself an afternoon to yourself. Well, these things would be, in fact, quite wonderful things to do. But what I'm pointing to here is a momentary pause because it doesn't seem like uh, now we have more than moments. It seems like we only have bits and pieces, bits of moments. And I'll just say that I personally think that in the long run that's going to be very good because eventually we won't even have moments left. We'll only have now. But in the meantime, (laughs) it's very lucky for us that it takes only a moment to pause. Pause in the middle of an argument, just in your head. Pause in the car. Pause at your desk. Pause holding your grandchild. Pause mentally or pause physically or pause mentally and physically, depending. In a short moment. And in that moment of pause, the second part of the practice, remember Pause and remember. Remember, you are so much more than any given busy moment. You pause and you think, I'm so much more than this frustrating moment. I'm so much more than the race I feel I'm in. Pause and take a breath and remember. I'm so much more than this moment. I'm so much more than my busy life. 
I'm life itself. I'm so much more than a busy life. I'm life itself. I'm peace itself. I'm the very nature of stillness. Remember. It takes only a moment to remember. Pause and remember. And it's all you need. Pause and remember. Remember your peace. Remember your stillness. You are. It's there within your nature and all you need is that brief moment of remembering. It's there in your nature. Remember, I am also a soul. I'm a soul expressing in form. I'm a soul expressing in body. I am also that. And the soul expresses with beauty and peace. Pause and remember. And then the third part. Pause, remember, and feel. In just a short, quick moment that you pause and remember, feel the truth of it, that you are more that you are peace, that peace is unto you. Feel the peace that is there. Briefly, pause, remember, feel. And repeat this throughout your day. You'll be surprised what begins to happen. It's like stringing pearls. You pause, you remember, You have a very fleeting, very brief hint, sometimes only, of peace, an expanded sense of self. But you do it again. You repeat it later in the day. Pause. Remember. Feel. And again, Later in the day, briefly, pause, remember, feel, another pearl, stringing pearls. And soon, you have felt your soul self, your core nature, in many, many, many small moments. When driving your child to a lesson, completing a task at work, even arguing with a teenager, buying groceries, running for a plane... Even in all of these moments, it's easy to pause, remember, feel all in one breath. In a flash, you've done it. And all those moments accumulate like pearls on a string until what we have is a beautiful necklace of all those moments. a more beautiful necklace you will end up with than Jackie O's pearl necklace. This pearl necklace of your moments of pause, remembrance, and feeling your soul. And in this repetition, and in this accumulation, your soul comes forward briefly each time, always. Sometimes you feel it strongly, sometimes you don't feel it, but your soul responds. It's only important that you pause, remember, and feel briefly. And the soul comes forward each time in each of these moments until your soulfulness is more and more a part of your day. And these accumulated moments begin to be an expanded sense of self. And it's in these little, very possible moments of pause. Pause, remember, feel. Pause, remember, feel. Pause, remember, feel. Pause, 
remember, feel. Pause and remember you are so much more and feel the fullness of your soul. And then do it again. Pause. Remember you are so much more than the moment you're in. And briefly, feel the fullness of your soul. Pause. Remember you are so much more. Feel your soul. And move on. There's something very powerful about this because it's so possible and because it's accumulative. Now, I have another simple practice for romancing your soul. My first experience of it in this particular way happened by accident one day in the bathroom I was I walked uh, I was walking quickly past the full length mirror and I had to catch myself I mean really catch myself somehow in the mirror I I somehow you know instead of taking in my whole body to see whether this fit or that worked or my bum was too big <laughs> instead of that I happened to catch myself in the eye as I was passing the mirror and something about it stopped me. And I was very close to the mirror, which is one of the reasons I wasn't checking out my to see how I looked. I was quite close to the mirror and I and there I was looking eye to eye with myself. Now we know, we often say, the soul is in the eyes. And when you look into your own eyes, you will see your soul. You will feel your soul. And that's what happened that day as I caught myself. I actually for a moment saw myself in my eyes and realized what I saw was other than this chasing my tail moment I was hurrying to get dressed for. I saw myself. I I glimpsed my soul and I stopped and I looked. And what I saw wept me. I saw, let's say, my soul seeing me. a loved one I saw I felt how the soul perceived me how my soul perceived me and there was no judgment there there was an unconditional loving I don't know I'd ever felt so fully directed to myself And it stopped me. And tears flowed. And my mouth kind of hung open. I had a feeling of of the breath catching in my throat. My heart was pounding like when you see a lover. Hmm. It was beautiful, as you can tell. And I realized that was in me. That feeling of me toward me was there. Perhaps I could say even, you know, all the love I'd ever longed for in my life, there it was looking out at me in all the perfection I could ever have longed for in a lover or a mother or a a child or a friend. Any love I could have longed for was right there looking at me. It frightened me a little. It attracted me a lot. I wanted more. It began to fade and I started to feel separate and lonely. 
and to realize how we live that way. (laughs) And so I began to look at myself in the mirror like that, to stand and look at myself a few moments in the mirror until I could see my soul looking out at me, until I could feel that. It wasn't always comfortable because, as I said, the difference between how, let's say, I judged myself or how I criticized myself or the shortfalls or shortcomings that I thought I had, all the moments of my life that I judged without thinking about, really, was a soul, my own soul, looking at me in that way. Those things seemed like a separation between me and my soul. But I simply let myself be seen by my soul, and I I thought, it's like an angel stood in front of us. We know the angel would look at us so lovingly and perceive us lovingly and non-judgmentally. And I realized I could have that feeling toward myself. And I began to move in a far deeper way toward self-love. Beyond just self-esteem, beyond the psychology of it, the soul in love with its expression and form. And I've learned that since that there's a practice that I'm going to share with you called gazing. And Rumi is said to have achieved enlightenment by using this practice and gazing into the eyes of uh, his beloved. And in the practice of gazing, you sit with another and you gaze into their eyes, seeing them from the perspective of the soul. And you are soon moved to the beauty and the perfection of them. And they are gazing at you from the perspective of the soul, mirroring, seeing you so lovingly, mirroring your soul. It's a very powerful practice. You can, I would say, Do it in the mirror. Try it. Try it with another, with a friend, with a lover. And try it with yourself. Give a loving gaze to yourself. It doesn't have to be... It's wonderful as an exercise like I just told you. But it can also be in a moment. To another, let's say, you're at the grocery store. There's a a transaction going on that is mundane or um, perhaps it's irritating. And you can shift your perspective and look from the perspective of the soul at the person who's transacting the business with you, checking out your groceries for you, at the post office, and really see them a moment, and really let yourself be seen. And it takes your breath away. We know it when it happens. We don't have to stare. It's an opening, isn't it? It's an opening to what is innate within us. And now, let me give a third way 
that we can court our our soulfulness, we can romance our soul. And I would say, I wouldn't in fact call it this third practice, courting your soulfulness. So literally make a date with yourself. Fix a special meal if you want. Light candles. Play music. Maybe draw a bath with a lot of bubbles. And the different thing about this date with yourself, it's not just crawling up in bed with a good book and having a special and quiet time that's just for you. We know this is these are wonderful things to do. But on this date, you're courting your soulfulness. You're romancing your soul. And so make a date with yourself and make it special. What makes it special for you? If you put on special music and light candles and draw a bath and slip into that delicious bubbly water, feel then the expanded sense of yourself. Contemplate your soul. Contemplate your divine nature. And talk to your soul self out loud. I do this a lot. I I call it the beloved. And I talk to the beloved with some frequency. I might say, beloved, I'm feeling so out of sorts. And I'd like to expand my sense of self beyond this moment so that I can feel the more that I am and this moment in its perspective. I say things like this. It's wonderful sometimes just to be with yourself and to feel that sense of yourself with candles, with poetry perhaps, a beautiful poem that that opens you to the longing that gives you a sense of your soul, like the Wendell Berry poem. There are many things that work. You can put on just one song and dance. Just one song. Or sit outside in the garden with a cup of tea for a moment and feel that expanded sense of yourself. You can meditate with music while inviting that expanded sense of yourself. Go on a retreat. I have one uh, in February, for those of you who are interested, it's called Soul Spa. And it's a, a time to romance our soul and to be led into that experience in a profound way and to learn how to go back there again and again in your daily life. You can find out about Soul Spa on my website, lenedricarroll.com. The reward of adding pause is accessing the stillness that's already there. This is really a beautiful beautiful, wonderful, exciting reward. And I said to you that I reached a point in my life where I realized that I didn't want anything else more than that. There came a time when I had completed, you know, one of those times when you've done, sort of reached your goals and it's time for you to say, now what? I was in one of those moments. And I went, uh, as I often do at such times, out into the wilderness, out into nature, asking myself, what's next? What do I want to do? And you know, I couldn't find an answer to that question. I could write another book, and I probably will, but but I'd written one, and I could gain another fortune and I probably will but 
but that's not doesn't fire me. I could start another business, and maybe I will, but that's not. I don't feel the fire in my belly for that. That's it's not my passion. These are my past passions. What am I passionate for? And I couldn't find it, and so I went out into the out into the mountains. And it was some days of being with nature it took me to quit asking the question (laughs) long enough to start to find the answer, to feel it in me. And I realized that for me, the level of peace and integration, the ability to return, wasn't enough. And that I wanted to move toward living there. Could a human being live there in their daily life? And I set out to try to understand that. And the answer is yes, 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 yes. And it's my passion to share that journey and to share what it was for me, what it might be for you. It starts with the simple things that I've given you to pause, to remember, to feel again and again, to return to this, to romance our soul, to gaze from the eyes of our soul at ourselves. To pause even as I just did on air, (laughs) live, you know, in in the radio medium. You're not supposed to have that. With people, we fill in all the spaces. In this conversation, I've been leaving more space and it feels good to me. I love nothing more than to stand quietly with someone, getting to know them, not filling in with chatter and questions, but feeling them and feeling me at another level. And relating soul to soul can be powerful in work and business also in the music industry, you know, it's full of sharks. And I I was quite intimidated uh, by that or felt lacking in in some of those skills, we could say. Wondered how somebody like me could actually excel there. And one day with an especially threatening shark person, I suddenly glimpsed his eyes and saw that was a costume. That shark suit was an amazing costume. What I saw looking out was the soul. And I understood that soul-to-soul interaction is the most powerful way to do business. And it doesn't require that I stare or that I gaze. It doesn't require that I, um, well, get anyone to change to some, you know, better way or a way that I think is better. It doesn't require, in fact, that they not be a shark. It simply requires that I remember, that I pause and remember and feel my soul, that I look in the eyes of the other and feel theirs. And when the souls engage in all the busyness, well, it may be the most important service. It may be the most important business that we do. This wonderful way of engaging our souls in our lives with our 
husbands and wives, with our partners, with our children, to pause and to see their soul without words, to feel the more that they are, to respond to the implicit in them. It's powerful. It's powerful in that argument with your teenager. It changes what you say. You may be as adamant, but it changes how that adamancy feels. It changes everything. So I recommend romancing the soul, romancing your soul, romancing the soul of life, romancing as the soul. <laughs> as probably your biggest act of service, your most extraordinary parenting skill, your most powerful relationship tool is pause, is the peace that's innate in you and accessing it briefly again and again. Certainly again and again without thought, no length necessary, just accessing it again and again. Our evocative question today is, well, at the first level, what would happen if you did this? It's a series of questions I'd like to give you. When you look deep into your own eyes, what do you see and feel? Everything. What do you feel? All of it. The pain, the, the feeling of less than, the fear. And then looking deeper, what do you see? And deeper still, what can you sense is really there? So the question, the evocative question today is, when you look deep into your own eyes, what do you see and feel deeper, deeper still? What can you sense is really there? And the inspiring invitation is to grow more intimate with your own soul nature by choosing one simple way to do this and beginning. Grow more intimate with your own soul nature is the inspiring invitation. Choose one simple way to do this and begin. And for useful tools, there are a lot of books that evoke the soul. Search out books and poetry. Um, I could recommend uh, one that deals the soul of money, reclaiming the wealth of our inner resources by uh, Lynn Twist. Uh, another one that is caring for your soul in matters of money by Karen Ramsey and Ward Sherrill and my own book, The Architecture of All Abundance, that reveals the stillness that underlies all abundance. The reward of adding pause is accessing the stillness that's already there. The reward of this is knowing the soul, and through the soul we know the one life in whom we live and breathe and have our being. The reward of adding pause is to access stillness. Through stillness, we gain familiarity with our soul. The reward of that familiarity is a growing ability to access the realms of the soul in which your own peace that passes understanding resides. And through the soul, as I said, we can know the one life 
whom we live and breathe and have our being. 